So this was a huge point of contention or frustration for me growing up because you know, I'm doing all the right things. I'm spending time in the gym and I'm working on my craft and I'm trying to be the best coach possible. Why am I not getting looked at by these schools? Hello and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and today we are going to talk about 20 tips for young coaches. Now, this is actually a repost of an OG podcast. I believe I I did this, geez, probably five or six years ago now, but the materials in it are universally applicable. And, you know, while sometimes I'm remiss to post old shows or to repost old shows, Man, I've gotten some great feedback. I did that 19 Ninja Tips for Programming a while back, and even though it's an older show, it was one of my highest downloaded of all time, and I believe this show as well is in the top five of all time. So wanted and also needed to reuse it because, man, there has just been so much going on the last couple of weeks. Uh, As you may or may not know, I spent last weekend in Vegas, and before I got on the plane, My daughter, Kendall, was like, Dad, you've been on a lot of planes lately. And I was like, yeah, I guess so, because I was just thinking about, you know, the Hartford trip two weeks ago, the Vegas trip this past weekend. But then, like, really, if you think about the last five weeks, we had fall break. So I flew to Colorado, spent a week in Colorado, flew back, had a week off from travel, which didn't feel like a week off because we just had all the things going on that week. We had soccer stuff. We had Kindle soccer tournament, we had parent-teacher conferences, we had family pictures, I mean, literally all the things. It was the busiest week I can remember in a long, long time. So that was my quote-unquote week off, then went to Connecticut, did my complete coach seminar, was back for like four days, and then just went to Vegas. So needless to say, Kindle was right. <laughs> a lot of times your kids are way more right uh, than you would like to think, so... Uh, but I wanted to give you a quick recap of this little Vegas trip too, because it has been, it was such an amazing experience. Uh, like I said, I left on Thursday, uh, went actually from Joel's house, we hung out for a little bit, uh, went to O, which is one of the Cirque du Soleil shows there. Absolutely amazing. Thank you so much to my new friend Tomas uh, for letting me attend and he let me and Joel and Joel's wife Ariel all go. So thank you Tomas. He's actually going to come on the show at some point here because he has a very, very interesting role as a strength and conditioning coach for Cirque du Soleil. So we're definitely going to bring him on because I think he's got a lot of valuable info and a lot of valuable insight into training what I believe to be these truly elite athletes. So went to O, Friday, got up, hiked a little bit, uh, went to the UFC PI, the UFC Performance Institute, got to get a great training session in, got to see my guy Duncan French. uh, And it's funny because the longer you're in any space, the more you realize how small that space is. So Yes, Duncan is the like head director, I don't know what his official title is, of the UFC Performance Institute, but man, I knew Duncan 20 years ago. <laughs> we were actually at Ball State together, so it was great to catch up with him, great to see all the amazing work he's doing. Man, he just gave a killer presentation on Sunday about how to set up your framework, about how to surround yourself with great people so that you can really grow an organization. So man, great seeing Duncan. 
Obviously, had to work <laughs> a little bit while I was out there. I did a hands-on session on Saturday, basically taking people through what I call my ground prep series. I love that little series to get people warm, loose, get them moving and feeling good. And then we talked about modifying lifts because when I came up, if it said squat on a workout, it meant back squat. And if you wrote bench press, it meant barbell bench press. And I think the longer we do this, the more we realize, hey, like don't put a square peg in a round hole. Try and find the activity or the exercise that the client or athlete standing in front of you can do best. So really enjoyed giving that. And then on Sunday, I gave what I call my R7 uh, 2099 presentation. So really just an upscale modified version of R7 because I want people to understand that even though we've been talking about this system for like 10 years now, the system and the framework still works to this day. Now it's evolved, right? And how we have plugged and played the exercises within the system have changed. Uh, and even sometimes my thought process about the value of the different R's and, and how much stock we should put in them for ourselves or our different athletes has evolved. But man, the system and the framework still work today. So great presentations, great group. Really appreciate everybody that came out. Uh, Saturday night, we got to go see another Cirque du Soleil show. We actually saw the Beatles show, which I thought was fantastic. If you like the Beatles even a little bit, you will love the show. It's very entertaining. Sunday night, went to the Mob Museum, which I didn't think I would like, but man, it was actually fascinating. You essentially get to walk through and learn all about organized crime in America, which, again, may, be, may not sound interesting at first blush, but if you've seen any of those old like mobster movies, whether it's uh, Goodfellas, Scarface, Donnie Brasco, uh, The Godfather, anything from that realm, Casino is another one. If you've seen or are interested in any of those movies, I can tell you The Mob Museum, definitely worth it. Uh, travel home was exciting to say the least somehow missed my first flight even though I was sitting at the terminal um, I think they shifted the terminal on me kind of last minute and I got no updates no notifications on my phone so that led to this downward spiral of rebooking my flight and then I rebooked and then that flight got canceled so I had to take another flight ended up on a red eye to Atlanta it was wild. So needless to say, on Tuesday when I got home, took a shower, crashed, and man, finally feeling like I'm back up to speed now today. And then the last thing I wanted to comment on are these speed camps. So when Kendall finished up with soccer, and I knew she was only going to have like one night a week of soccer for the foreseeable future, I was like, you know, I want to do something more with her. And she's at a great age. She's 11. She's in sixth grade to start really learning about athletic development, learning how to take care of her body. And so I told her, hey, would you be interested uh, in doing a speed camp? And I'll invite, you know, some of your friends from your soccer team. She's like, oh, yeah. And so, you know, we got about five, six girls coming. And man, it's been so much fun. So much fun. Like, I've always thought that when she gets to about this age, or when both kids start to get about this age, that I want to start doing more of this with them and for their friends. And man, it's been so much fun. We were working on linear acceleration last night. And man, just the progress that we saw in one session was truly amazing. It's so cool to watch these these kids get better, get faster, literally within the course of 45 minutes to an hour. And 
the great thing is, as we're going through it, you know, I'm kind of loosely checking my watch. Man, next thing you know, it's been 45, 50, 55 minutes. In fact, one of the kids that was in there last night, he was a new kid. His name's Logan. And Logan was just like, man, what time is it? I was like, uh, dude, it's like 6.20. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, it's been 50 minutes. We only got 10 minutes left. He's like, wow, that went fast. So, you know, when they're enjoying it and having fun and I'm having fun as well, it's just been such a great experience. So probably going to be talking more about that. And if you have any interest, I'd love to share just a little bit about what I'm doing with these kids in these camps because it's not super high level stuff. It's a focus on the basics about teaching and I think most importantly, making it fun. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this episode where we talk about 20 tips for young coaches. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. To get on the insider's list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Let me tell you how all this started, and we'll, we'll kind of start at the beginning, and then we'll go through the tips, and I'll bring it all together at the end. So I've been thinking a lot lately about young coaches and the internship process that we run at IFAST because we've had roughly 25, 26 intern groups now, count three a year across nine years. That's a lot of interns. And between that, between the speaking that I do, between you know the online piece and social media and all that, I come across a lot of young coaches. And for me, I didn't have great mentors growing up. It's not that I didn't have mentors, but I didn't have people that are that were super accessible. Um, I didn't have anybody that was in my life for an extended period of time um, that could really weigh in and kind of steer me in the right direction. And I think this is so important now because here's what I see a lot of. I see a lot of people bitching and moaning about young coaches or young trainers and they do this wrong and they don't have work ethic and you know they just don't understand what it takes. But if you guys know anything about me, I cannot stand, number one, I can't stand negativity. And number two, I can't stand people that just constantly dump problems on me. I don't want to hear your problems. If you have a problem, that's fine. We all have problems. Give me solutions. 
And so that's what this show is all about. This show is all about giving young coaches, young trainers, very important feedback and advice that I personally didn't get when I was a young coach that I wish I would have had. And so that's why I wanted to do this. And what's funny is I put this post up on Facebook and, you know, most of the time, Facebook now is just people complaining about politics or what's going wrong in their life. So I put this up there just to try and stimulate some thoughts. And I was shocked because at last last look, I think I had 115 different comments. The question was so simple. If you could give young coaches one piece of advice, what would it be? So, I, I mean, I was just shocked. And I mean, we're talking world-class coaches are t- chiming in. Dan Baker is on there. Um, I can't even think of who all else. I mean, all my guys like Andy McCloy, Drew Massey, um, you know, just these amazing guys are all chiming in on their thoughts. Bill Phillips of EAS fame was on there. So it really must have struck a chord because 115 comments later, man, my juices were flowing and I had all these great ideas. So this is kind of the culmination of all of those. And some of those are influenced by the post. A lot of them are just my own thoughts. I'll do my best to kind of stay on track and not ramble. It can be difficult when I'm just talking to an empty room. But uh, I think these 20 tips not only will be super beneficial for young coaches and trainers that you know, but maybe even for yourself, you're going to find a nugget or two that either you hadn't thought about or maybe I can get you to think about something in a slightly different fashion. And if I do any of those things, then I'll think this is valuable. So without any further ado, let's jump in. Tip number one, show up early. And this is such a basic thing, guys. Everybody can get to work on time. You can show up 15 minutes early to your interest internship to your job. doesn't matter what you do. If you make the effort, you can always be there early. Now, on the flip side of that, I had an intern. This was probably six years ago, six, seven years ago now. It was a while ago. And, you know, their internship started at 9 a.m. This kid, I kid you not, we told him be there at 845. Every day he showed up at 9 a.m. And the first thing that he did, he'd show up, he'd give me a head nod, and he'd go in the bathroom. And I think this dude just brushed his hair for like 20 minutes. I had no idea what he did in the bathroom every day. So literally he wasn't on the gym floor until 920. And you could tell right away he wasn't super serious. You know, maybe he is serious now, but he was not serious at the time about getting better. But when you show up on time immediately, and keep on mind, when I say on time, I mean 10, 15 minutes early. When you show up 10 to 15 minutes early before you need to be on the floor or before you're coaching a session, you're calm. You feel prepared. You know, you got time. If you need to do your hair or brush your teeth or whatever the case may be, you're calm, you're prepared. And kind of on the flip side of that, there's less anxiety. There's less stress. You're able to be in the moment. You don't feel rushed. You're focused and you're ready for that first client or that first athlete that you're working with. But I think as a young person... It shows your boss that you're a professional. You know, a lot of this is going to be focused on, you know, not only you doing what's necessary, but proving to people that are in positions of superiority to you that you mean business, that you are a professional. Because, you know, I'd like to think I'm pretty open minded. There are a lot of bosses out there that are not. And they look at young people or interns as, you know, just another cog in the wheel. So if you can start to stand out day one, you're showing up 10 to 15 minutes early, you're prepped, you're ready. When nine o'clock rolls around or whatever time you need to be on the floor, when you're fresh and ready to go and focused, 
that shows a lot. It shows a lot of initiative. And I can tell you as an employer, I look very kindly upon that because I think that person is ready to go. So number one, show up early. Number two, and this is huge, okay, because everything has a shelf life, right? No, no job lasts forever. No internship lasts forever. And you can undo, in our case, 15 amazing weeks of internship level work with one shitty last week. And look, guys, it doesn't matter, like, just how you start. It doesn't matter that you showed up on time all those weeks. If that last week, everything falls apart, that's a huge problem. So number two, it's not just how you start, it's how you finish. So I don't want the guy that's dragging his ass across the finish line. I want a guy that finishes strong, that in that last week, he is confident. He's in there. He's coaching. He's working at a high level. He's doing the little things around the gym, whether it's pulling programs, whether it's cleaning. You know, If you finish strong, that really stands out to me as well. And I know a lot of places are moving to this kind of model, but at our gym, we want to hire interns. Like I know after 16 weeks, not only do I know what you know, but I know most importantly, your chemistry and your DNA. And I know how you're going to fit into the culture of our gym. So, you know, that last week means a lot. So if you're kind of just slacking off and dragging your, your lazy ass, for lack of a better term, across the finish line, that's not a great way to finish. So in the end, work hard, do everything you need to up front, but finish strong. Take it to the end and finish at the level that you want to be remembered at. Because for a lot of internship coordinators, for a lot of coaches, that's how we remember you. You know, if you don't put in a great effort that last week, we're probably not going to remember you in the light that you would prefer. So finish strong. It's not just how you start, it's how you finish. Number three, work to be seen, not heard. Now, what do I mean by that? And this may sound harsh, and it's not forever, but seriously, in the beginning, just shut up. Just shut up. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I mean, most young people are enthusiastic. They've got this energy about them, which I love, right? The older I get, the more I wish I had more of that energy in me. But early on, just be quiet. Just listen. You know, it's okay if you don't know anything. You know, it, it's funny because young people, they think they know everything. And, and when I say that, I was the same way. I thought I knew everything. I thought I had all the answers. And there's a quote that I'm going to paraphrase, but it's better for people to assume you're an idiot than to open your mouth and prove it, right? Because a lot of times people get talking, then they can't shut up. And then it's like, oh my gosh, you said all these things that just proved to me that you don't know what you're talking about. So it's okay. Like as a young coach, as a young trainer, it is totally okay not to know things. In fact, if you come in and you think you know everything, a lot of people are going to try and knock you back down a couple pegs. It's not necessarily the way that I do it, but just be quiet. Learn. Like Use kind of that whole um, time to not just how, – how do I want to say this? Don't just try and show me what you know. Find other ways to make a good impression on me. Okay, So what I'll often tell people is, look. Just because you don't know things and you're not an asset on the floor yet, that's okay. You can be an asset without being a great coach early on. You can, again, you can help clean the gym. 
you can ask to help another member of the staff. So Jay, um, Ty, Jason, when they're on the floor, maybe they need help because there's times, you know, the gym is really humming and they need a little bit of assistance. So you can help them with something, you know, maybe it's setting up the gym aware, or setting up a client on a certain station. You can load plates. You can interact with the athletes and the clients that come into the gym. You can start building relationships. So I think this is a really critical piece. Like it doesn't matter early on that you don't know things because that's what I expect. And the things that you don't know, I'm going to help you learn. But most importantly, understand that that's okay and there's other things that you can do to be a valuable asset. So I always say work to be seen and not heard. Number four, this kind of follows in that same mindset or that same uh, kind of lineage, if you will. But we all have two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. I know my guy Eric Cressy mentioned this all the time growing up. Um, I think it's something that I naturally tended to. Um, Believe it or not, I'm more on the shy side than you may imagine. Um, In this kind of environment, in a speaking environment, I may appear extroverted, but I promise you I am not. So this is easy for me, but it's not easy for everybody. So two eyes, two ears, one mouth. Number one, listen more. Listen more. Listen more to the people that are superior to you, right? They may not always know what they're talking about. That's okay. But you need to listen to the people that are there to teach you, to educate you. You need to learn from them. Number two, you need to listen to your clients. And this is something that a lot of people miss the boat on. You have to listen to your clients, to your athletes. What are they really telling you? And this is an art, right? We are so programmed now, especially like social media does this to us. We don't have to listen to anybody anymore. Now it's just my thought. Twitter, here's my thought. Facebook, here's another thought. Instagram, here's a picture of me and my thought that goes with it. You know, that's how social media drives us. But in this world, as a coach, as a trainer, we have to listen. So use your ears, actively listen. So when a client or an athlete tells you something, you know, verbalize back to them in similar but not exact words what they just said because this is active listening. You're going to get more out of it and they're going to feel like you're really hearing them. They're going to form a bond with you if you can do that. So listen. Number two, observe. The best thing that you can learn to do as a coach is be really observant. And it's hard now because, again, our brains are kind of trained to shut a lot of stuff out. But when you're in the gym, you have to really open your eyes. You have to try and see not only the little things, but you have to see the big picture. This is something that a lot of young coaches get frustrated with. A lot of the people that come into our gym on their internship have never coached anybody in their lives. Like nobody ever. This is their first coaching experience. And they get frustrated about eight weeks in because they see some things, but they don't see everything. And what I try and relay to them is this, is that I've been doing this 17 years now. I still miss things, uh, especially when it comes at a fast pace, right? So a guy like Lee Taft is amazing, but even Lee Taft uses video, right? So use your eyes. Um, And again, that's a great tip in and of itself. You know, whenever you're allowed to, use video so that you can watch them not only in the moment, but you can watch them in the privacy of your own home or in the coach's office. You can watch it in slow motion, forward and backward. It's going to make you such a better coach. Number three, kind of in this realm of listen, observe, number three would be coach when and if necessary. Um, As a young coach, 
you know, I want you to make mistakes. As long as they're not egregious, as long as they're not going to get somebody hurt, you know, it's a learning process. You may not know the best cues. You may not know the one thing to fix that has the domino effect that fixes 10 other things. But, you know, I want you to coach people. Um, But with that being said, if you don't know an answer, you don't know how to fix it, ask somebody, right? The worst thing that you can do is the whole fake it till you make it on the gym floor because you can get somebody injured. So make sure, you know, get in there, get some reps, make some mistakes. Um, but if you don't know an, what you're, you're chasing or what you need to fix, make sure to ask somebody. And if you're helping a coach, let me rephrase, let me come back. So if you are a coach and uh, a young person asks you a question, please don't spoon feed them the answer. That's like the worst thing that you can do. So Bill Hartman is the master of this. Somebody will ask him a question and he will spin that into a question that starts to give them a breadcrumb. And then they get that answer and then he gives them another breadcrumb. And then he they get that answer and they get another breadcrumb to the point where now they've figured out the answer for themselves. And I think that is one of the best things that we can do as mentors or as coaches of young coaches and trainers is to help them start to refine their thought process and start to answer some of these questions themselves. Because if you can do that, now you're self-sustaining. Now you can educate yourself versus having to be spoon-fed answers and information. You start to create a filter, which is absolutely critical. Okay, number five. This is a huge one, guys. Um, It doesn't matter how long you've done this. Put a star by it. Highlight it. Whatever you're doing, please don't ever, ever ask to pick someone's brain. Just don't do it. Don't ever fucking do it. Here's why. Uh, John Spencer Ellis put up a Facebook post the other day. Guarantee it's going to cause some fire and some drama because he was ranting on this topic. And I wanted to, like, share it to the entire world. Okay, because when you ask someone to pick their brain, either number one, you are the cheapest SOB on the planet. You know this person's time is valuable. You are just too cheap to pay for it. All right, which is not a good thing. So if you come at me and you ask to pick my brain, I'm either thinking number one, you're cheap and you don't value my time or you're totally naive to how this works and the value that myself and Eric Cressy, a Bill Hartman, anybody has to offer. In which case, I don't want to give you my time either because you don't understand the level that I'm trying to get to. And again, I don't say this to be like pompous or arrogant. That's not the goal at all. What I'm trying to explain is this. When you ask to pick somebody's brain, you're basically saying your time is not really that valuable. Give me free stuff because I want it. Right. So one of my rules is, you know, I'd like to think I could go to most people in this industry at this point and say, hey, um, do me a solid. I need an hour of consulting. Will you help me? And they would say yes. Um, But I have never done that and I never will do that. Um, I can tell you in this last year, um, Nick Winkleman did some consulting for me. Uh, Lauren Landau did some consulting for me. I led immediately with, I want to pay you for this. What is your hourly rate? Right now, whether they choose to bill me or not is on them, right? And there's plenty of times where people have offered me in that same thing. They say, "Hey, what's your consulting rate?" I say, "No, you know, if it takes 15 minutes, I've got this." But it shows that you're serious, right? Only the JV asks for freebies. 
only the JV asks to pick somebody's brain. The varsity, the dudes that are trying to get to the next level, are willing to pay. They want to pay because they know, number one, that time, that knowledge that they're going to get is damn well worth it. And number two, they know that they're going to get remembered. You know, a person that approaches me the right way, that tries to do things the right way, that person sticks out. And unfortunately, the person that asked for the freebies and asked to pick my brain, you know, they're kind of in another boat (laughs) and it's not necessarily a positive one. So please don't ever, 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 ever ask to pick someone's brain. Do it the right way. If you value their time, if you value what they bring to the table, offer to pay them. Okay. Number six, be persistent, but not annoying. Now, Slippery slope here, and I understand that. But I want a young coach who shows initiative. I want a young coach that shows up to work, they're ready, they've got the notebook, they've got questions that they want to ask me. I respect that. But at the same time, there's a fine line. And here's the analogy that I like to use. I'm sure you guys have been out to, to eat at some point in time, right? And you have that server that like just never comes around, right? They don't know you're there. Your water's been empty for like an hour. You're having salty pizza. You're just, I mean, you're dying, right? So you have that person on one end. And then on the other end, you've got the person that literally is in your face like every two minutes. Are you okay? Can I do anything for you? Can I fill that up? Can I take anything away? Um, Can I bring your check? No? Okay. Like you don't want to be that person either, right? So there's definitely a fine line here. And this is part of just the social skills that you need to be successful, right? You got to gauge people. Well, you got to gauge and read your boss. So you want to show initiative. You want to ask good questions. You want to learn. But at the same time, you have to understand that the people you're working for have things that they have to do too, whether it's coaching people, whether it's business stuff, whether it's administrative stuff, it's a very fine line. So show initiative, ask great questions. Um, What I would do And I think the best thing that you can do is don't just pop in unannounced and be like, hey, you got some time? I want to ask you some questions. Um, Be a pro. Again, what does a pro do? A pro says, hey, um, you know, I've got this list of questions based on, you know, the last week of work or this coaching session that I watched. When would be a good time for you that we could sit down for even 15, 20 minutes and just talk about a few of these things? You ask like that and I guarantee it's going to get noticed versus the person is in the middle of a session and you're starting to pepper them with questions or they're getting ready for a big meeting and you want them to drop everything and have a five-minute convo with you. Okay, so be a pro. Be persistent, right? Show initiative, but don't be annoying. Find ways for you to get your questions answered while at the same time being respectful for what they have going on. Number seven, this is a big one, and I think everybody that is serious about this does this number seven attack your craft with a vengeance now here's the the story that i like to talk about a lot when i was in undergrad i spent four years learning uh exercise science stuff like how to take body comps um how to take blood pressures while people rode on exercise bikes um i learned how to read ekgs got 27 hours worth of business information from a business minor. I got another 12 hours from a counseling psych minor. Um, So I learned a lot of stuff, but I'm not sure I really lasered in. So I always say those first six months 
when I got done with my undergrad, when I got done with my master's, at least my master's was more focused. But those first six months after I got done with my master's were just amazing because I had built a foundation, but now I could laser in on the things that I was really passionate about, what I really wanted to learn. So I'm like reading Super Training and Zatsiorsky and, oh man, I can't remember the other, the Red Book. I'll think of it at some point. You know, I'm reading Stu McGill stuff. I just had all this amazing literature that I could finally read and dive into because I didn't have other things bothering me. So when I say attack your craft with a vengeance, you got to read more. Number two, I hate to say this because I'm going to talk more about it later, but work more. Right? If you're young, if you're an intern, what else do you have to do but work? You can go out and party on Saturday night. That's fine. Enjoy yourself. But work more. Right? Get those reps in because I guarantee you're not going to want to do it when you're 40 years old. Number three, attend more seminars. Right? I mean, like this is, this is why I still host our physical prep summit because there is something that is just so critical about getting people in a room together and learning. Right, like the shared, just mental power that's going on takes everybody to another level, and it's not just you know having to be on because it's live, right? You can't pause it, you can't rewind it. You got to be focused, you got to be engaged. Plus, you get the networking side of it. I mean, that's why I think our summit is such a huge deal because these people are not only just monsters when it comes to learning, but when they're done, they're talking in between sessions. We're going to dinner afterwards. We're going to the bar. That's where the real horsepower comes in. All right, so attend more seminars. As Gary V or Gary Vaynerchuk would say, work your face off, right? Like there's the one equalizer that everybody has access to is hard work. So please take the time, put in the effort, read more, work more, attend more seminars, work your face off when you're young, right? Start to lay that foundation, lay those things will ultimately, ultimately make you successful over the course of your career. Number eight. This is huge. I know Joe Ken has said this. I know I think Brett Bartholomew has said this. But you already are in the perfect spot for you. I will tell you as an employer, nothing frustrates me more than the guy whose eyes are always on the next gig. Or he's always talking about where he's going to go next. Like, no employer wants to hear that. Like, I like to think we we help build really amazing coaches at iFast. I know just like every other gig, they're not going to stay with us forever. I respect that, right? But stop dreaming about the next gig. It, nobody that's in the situation with you, nobody cares about where you're going next, all right? What you need to do is milk the current situation for all it's worth. And I don't mean that in a negative light. I mean take everything away from where you're at that you possibly can. So even the worst situation imaginable can be a positive. Now, the example that I always come back to is, you know, when I went up to Fort Wayne, keep in mind, I just finished my master's degree. I'd spent two and a half years working not only in the research lab, but as a strength and conditioning coach at a division one school. Now I go to Fort Wayne, I'm working in a chiropractic clinic and I'm doing rehab literally almost every day, all day, every day. The biggest benefit to me was the fact that I got to power lift. You know, I was surrounded by powerlifters, so I got strong and I got to work out. We basically built our work schedule around powerlifting, which that didn't suck. But, you know, nothing else about it was exciting. It didn't really drive me because I wasn't making people huge or strong or fast. I was helping people with knee pain or back pain or shoulder pain. But I'd like to think I took that negative or what I considered to be a negative and I spun it into a positive, 
right? I mean, you guys, if you followed my career, 03 to 05, Mike Robertson, the corrective exercise guy, you know, it taught me a ton about assessments. It taught me how to, you know, look at posture, how to look at muscles and imbalances. It gave me time to focus on functional anatomy, rehab, all these things that I was absolutely awful at up until that point in time. So that really helped solidify my foundation. It gave me a movement foundation that I wouldn't have had had I not spent three years there. Maybe I just would have jumped right into speed and agility training or something else, right? So it gave me a foundation that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So here's a really tough question that you need to ask yourself. If you in your brain right now are laser focused on the next gig, right? Like you're just grinding it out. You're hating life where you're at. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. When you leave this situation, is this place better because of you? I don't care whether you were there six weeks, 16 weeks, six months, six years. When you walk away from a space, are they better for having you there? Did you find a way to make your mark? And if you can't say yes, man, good luck. Good luck looking at the next spot because you know what? If you don't give 100% where you're at, you don't deserve to go somewhere better. Right? That's a fact. If you aren't putting in 100% where you're at, why do you deserve to go somewhere better? You put in 100% wherever you're at, even if it's not the ideal job, even if you think you can do better, you can make more money, you can work with people that are more specific to you or that are more in your wheelhouse. If you're not putting in 100% where you're at, you don't deserve to go somewhere better. And I think that's something that is really hard for a lot of people to hear, right? You're not entitled to anything. Put in 100% where you're at. Get better. Make yourself more valuable. And I guarantee if you do that, everything will shake out in the end. All right, rant over. Number nine, be open-minded. This kind of comes back to that last piece, but you can learn something from everyone, right? You know, we've all had like that crazy old coach, um, you know, like 95% of the stuff they say is like out of left field or how they did it back in the day. But if you really listen to that person, you can learn something from them, right? And this is the way I like to think about it. I think it's good to constantly be challenged, Um, not just in my thought process with regards to training, but my business. I'm okay with that, right? I'm okay being uncomfortable. But here's what I find is when either new thoughts or maybe challenging thoughts come into your brain, either one or two things happen. Number one, it gets you to see things in a new way, right? If nothing else, you see things in a new way, you've got a new perspective, and possibly you change your mind. Maybe it's not a 180 degree flip, but you change your, your, your mind a little bit. You soften your stance, and that can be valuable, right? Having perspective, that's something all great older coaches have. They have wisdom, right? Because you know they've got perspective. They've been around longer. They've seen more things. So that's valuable. Number two, let's say you hear something, it challenges your thought process, and you mull it over, you give it that kind of, you know, real attaboy shot, and ultimately you just don't agree. That's fine too, because here's what that just did. It stiffened your spine. It stiffened your resolve with where you're at, and that's okay too, right? It's important to be open-minded, you know, because yeah, Maybe you've got a new perspective or you got a new stance on things. But sometimes too, 
it's just bunk and you don't agree with it and that's fine too. It's okay if it stiffens your spine and it strengthens your resolve and it firms up your own beliefs or your own thought process. So number nine, be open-minded. Number 10, your next 10 years are outside of your comfort zone. Get used to it. And so again, I'm thinking back from 24 to 34 and I'm not sure I was comfortable at any point in time. In fact, I don't know if I've been comfortable in the last 17 years of my life when it comes to my career. But, you know, the bottom line is if you're comfortable, you're not growing, period. You're stagnant. And I'm a big believer that there is no net equal, right? Either you're growing and you're evolving or you're devolving, right? You're getting worse. So you have to find ways to constantly challenge yourself. Um, If you're around great people in your gym, that's awesome. That's going to make your life so much easier. You're constantly going to be pushed from within. It's one of the best things about iFast. We have very fertile soil when it comes to the ideas and the thought processes, and everybody's kind of thinking about something, willing to throw it out there, and that leads to new thoughts. So that is absolutely huge. But something that I would implore all young coaches to do, something that I did as a young coach that I think was really beneficial for me, was I took all of the things that I assumed at the time were important for me to be able to do as a coach, like my core competencies. So for example, it was like strength development, writing a program, power development, coaching speed, rehab, all these things. And I essentially ranked myself on a scale of one to 10. And I think what's important is you look at that, you know, the highest ranked thing is the thing you're most passionate about almost 99.9% of the time. So for me, I was really interested in strength training. I was into powerlifting. So I felt very confident in that area. Probably gave myself an eight or a nine out of 10, which again, thinking back is absolutely ludicrous to think that I was anywhere near that good with those things. But I was confident when it came to strength. I was very poor when it came to rehab, which really came to roost because then I got a job in a rehab facility. But I think going through the rating game gives you some perspective on how good you are at each level as a coach, right? And and you kind of have to figure out like what's most important to you. Um, I would say big rocks need to be um, programming, coaching, communication, building rapport, um, running a training session. Those are five things right off the bat. And then you can go into the nuances of it, right? So if it's, you know, running a session. It's how do I coach speed drills? How do I coach power drills? How do I coach strength drills? So you can get really granular with that. But I think the big takeaway here is that you have to get comfortable outside of your comfort zone. Get used to it. If you feel comfortable, you're not growing. And I think that's part of it, right? Like that's why adolescence is so uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. But we're constantly growing, we're changing, we're evolving, and it's so, it just happens so fast, right? So that's what we need to strive for as coaches. You know, the changes won't be as rapid the older you get, right? Because you're gonna get a little bit firmed up in your ways, your philosophy is gonna strengthen. But, you know, if at any point in time you are totally comfortable, just recognize that fact. It's okay, but recognize you find, need to find ways to make yourself uncomfortable to kickstart the growth process again. Number 11, and this is going to, if I haven't already, this is definitely going to get rid of my uh, clean rating for this episode, but number 11, this shit ain't fair. 
people, young coaches, old coaches, I don't care who you are. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And this is especially true in the hiring process. I know so many well-qualified coaches that have not gotten jobs simply because they didn't know the right people, because they didn't have connections. Kier, in uh, my podcast last week, said it best. Everybody wants to work with their friends. That's why he missed out on a great opportunity when he was younger. Kills the other guy in the interview. Doesn't get the gig because the head coach wants to work with his mate. Right? That's how it works. Okay? So you can either bitch and moan about that or you can understand, hey, this is how the world works. So I'm going to do something about it. Instead of being reactive and complaining, I'm going to be proactive and grow my network. So this was a huge point of contention or frustration for me growing up because, again, I thought, you know, I'm doing all the right things. I'm spending time in the gym and I'm working on my craft and I'm trying to be the best coach possible. Why am I not getting looked at um, by these schools? You know, especially when I was coming out, I probably sent out 40 or 50 resumes to different Division One schools trying to get a strength and conditioning gig. Never happened. And now I recognize it wasn't me. Like if these people have a guy or they've got a connection, that's who they're going to hire. So I've spun this now because I recognize that fact. And this is why maintaining my own network is so important because I don't want my guys, especially the guys that I deem worthy, like our interns that have put in the time and the effort, I will go to bat for them. I am going to try and get them wherever I can. doesn't matter high school, college, pros, whatever resources or access I have. If they are a good fit for a job, I'm going to put them there. And I think this is important too from kind of like the employer side or the mentor side. You don't put a person, regardless of how much you like them, in a situation where they can't be successful. Um, You try and find the best spot for that person and you try and put them in a position that you know, may challenge them, but that they're also ready for. Because there are certain guys, they may have all the talent, they might have the skill set, but just maturity-wise, they're not ready yet. Um, I actually had a guy like this last year. Um, There was a pretty cool job that opened up um, in Major League Sports, kind of like a second division deal. Um, And I had a guy that I really wanted to put up for it. And I told him, I said, look, I love you for this job, but I don't know if you're ready yet. I feel like one or two years. And the cool thing was we had that open, honest communication. He said the same thing. He's like, I'm excited. I might put my resume in, but ultimately I think I'm a year or two out too. So just understand guys, shit ain't fair. You know, if you don't like how things are working, if you don't like the fact that it's a good old boys network, start to get and meet and network some of the good old boys, right? Because that's how most of these gigs really work. Number 12, try to work with clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. So perfect example. There is a elderly gentleman that has trained at our gym literally since day one. And before he trained at our gym, he trained with Bill in his home gym. And I don't think he will ever listen to this show. I seriously hope not. But let me be frank. He's not the most athletic dude you're ever going to see. Okay. And he doesn't have great body awareness. And I will tell you, for many years, before Bill and I hired anybody, Bill and I coached him. And I think that's very important because if I can coach a guy that doesn't move particularly well, that doesn't have great body awareness, then I know I can take a guy that's uh, 
college basketball stud or uh, you know a guy that's going to play professional soccer, I can probably do pretty good things with him. And I still remember when Mike Koval uh, was an intern in our gym, and I used to make him train the same guy. You know, he wasn't even on the schedule. I don't even think he was paying for training at the time. I just said, Mike, anytime this guy walks in, you're training him. And he probably hated me at the time, but now he probably reflects back and thinks, man, like, and hopefully he thinks, man, Mike had my best interests at heart because I'm a better coach for having worked with that guy. You know, my background personally, I've worked with people literally all shapes and sizes. I've worked in the public sector. I've worked in the private sector. I've worked with high school athletes, pro athletes, um, collegiate athletes. I've worked in a rehab environment. I've worked with, you know, massively overweight people. It's just, it's spanned the entire spectrum. And, you know, I feel like I just had the longest GPP phase of training experience known to man. (laughs) You know, it just took me a really long time to kind of get to where I was going, where I train exclusively athletes now. But here's the bottom line. The more people you train, the more experience you get working with people of all shapes and sizes, you learn something different from everyone. Every person you coach or train, if you're dialed in, you learn something from as well. And just kind of like a general life story, because I've had this discussion with a couple athletes lately, but like the athletes that you have the most impact on as a coach typically have an even stronger impact on you as a coach. So just think about that for a minute. The people that you coach that say, man, coach, you have really influenced me. You have made me a better person, a better athlete. A lot of times, like 99% of the time, you are impacted more by them. So that's something really powerful to think about. So at the end of the day, try to work with clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. Get that experience. Number 13, and this was a very, very common thread on the uh, Facebook thread. But number 13, it's not, it's not about you. Okay. And there's a couple ways I could take this. Number one, you know, everybody, every trainer, every coach now, I get it. Par for the course is you have to put up some social media of your clients and of your athletes. I get that. Okay. But there's this fine line between self-promotion you know, putting stuff out there every now and then, a post or two a day, and literally where it's just 50 Instagram stories about every second of every athlete that you're coaching, right? That's the difference between some gratuitous self-promotion, which you have to do in this day and age, and being a toolbox. Okay, don't be a toolbox. It's okay. Put some things out there. Show people what you're doing. Um, maybe educate some of the people that are interested in what you're doing. This is especially true in the private sector. You know, it's okay to put it out there, but, you know, don't just constantly barrage people with everything that you're doing. We don't need every second of every coaching session because here's the other side of that. You're probably not doing a great job coaching. If you're just on your phone the whole damn time trying to capture video of your client sessions, you're probably doing a great job with your social media and doing an awful job actually coaching your clients and athletes. So with that being said... You know, if your only goal is to create this workout that looks awesome on Instagram, you're doing it wrong. Every great coach will tell you it's all about the basics. It's all about simple. It's, you know, kind of essentialism at its finest. Like, what do you really need to be focusing on? And I would say that, you know, if you went and just did social media or YouTube clips of a high level coach, 
chances are their training session wouldn't look all that amazing. You know, they're not going to get put up on Stack or they're not going to get put up on ESPN or whatever website is out there because somebody's doing a 70-inch box jump, right? It's going to be a heavy dose of the basics. They're going to teach them to move well, whether it's running, jumping, sprinting, those things, changing direction. There's going to be a basic compound lift. There's going to be some assistance work. There's probably going to be some conditioning you know, tactics, methods, those might change a little bit, but it's going to be a heavy dose of the basics. Um, so there's that piece of it, right? But there's also the fact that, look, at the end of the day, it's not about what you want. This was huge for me. And I'd like to think that this is a lesson that I've learned many, many times. It's not about me. It's not about my goals. Um, it is somewhat about my vision for them. Um, but I have to sell my vision of them because chances are they don't have the same vision yet or they can't imagine how good they can be right they can't imagine how athletic they can become they can't imagine how lean they can become they can't imagine how good they can feel right so it's not about what you want it's about them it's about their goals their insecurities what they need to get out of training so this is where you have to sell them um, maybe not on your vision, but how you can partner your vision with what they want. I think that's really, really critical. Trying to pair your vision of them, but given what they want and what they perceive their goals to be and what they want to get out of training. So it's really hard, especially when you're young. You think you know everything, you have all the answers, but guys, just trust me on this. It's not about you. And this comes back to listening. Tuning those ears in, being an active listener, talking to these people, trying to understand what they want, what they need, what motivates them. If you can tap into that, that's the real secret sauce. And, you know, I work with a, a lot of great coaches, and I think there's a handful of really great coaches, all the talent in the world, all the X's and O's. And the reason they're ultimately not as successful as they could be is because they don't understand this fact. It's not about them. They haven't tapped into what really drives their athletes. They haven't forged that connection, that great communication and the great understanding really gives you. So just keep in mind, it's not about you. It's about them. All right, number 14, ask more questions. So this is rule number one for our interns. We give every intern a little packet, and somewhere in that packet, it tells them, we expect you to ask questions. And I'll be frank. I assume if you're not asking questions, you're not thinking or you don't care. Now, keep in mind, there are absolutely times when a, a new coach or a new trainer or an intern has that deer in headlights look and they are so overwhelmed. They are so overtaken by the situation that they don't even know what to ask. I get that. But, you know, chances are, even if you don't know what to ask based on what I'm doing, you may have questions of your own, okay? So as an intern, as a young coach, don't be afraid to ask more questions. This is how you really get better. And it's something that I just can't stress enough, you know? Yes, again, there's a time and a place for it. Don't do it right in the middle of my coaching session. But if you ask more questions, now you're starting to drill down. And you're getting away from some of the superficial and you're getting away from just taking everything at face value. As a young coach, you just have a tendency because you don't have a filter to assume that what everyone says is right. And this is one of the hardest parts of being a young coach now. There's so much information you can't filter it. 
okay? But if you start to ask more questions, you start to get more answers. You start to have depth to your understanding. And this is something that I think is just so critical. If you ask questions and you start to deepen that knowledge base, now you're starting to put the pieces together. Now you're starting to have a better understanding of how things really work. So number 14, I'll leave it at that, ask more questions. Number 15, find a great mentor. And Robbie Bork commented um, after I'd created my little outline here, but he said mentors. And that may be a better way to put it. I think this is arguably the most important thing you can do. And this is how I have by and large modeled myself early on. Because, look, we don't have filters when we're young. We don't have somebody to help us kind of wheat, like kind of take away the wheat from the chaff. So how do we do that? Well, we find great mentors. And the best thing about today's day and age is you're not limited by geography. You know, before I was kind of limited to the people around me. Now, luckily, when I'm coming up, I got Dr. Robert Newton, who's my graduate advisor. I got Dr. Kramer, who's downstairs. I mean, like the Don Corleone of exercise science research. So I was lucky I had good geography, but now you're not limited by that. So for me, when I started to realize, okay, look, I'm good at this strength stuff. How do I get better at speed and agility work? And then, you know, via the internet, I made Lee Taft my mentor, you know, and luckily I've met Lee and I've got to spend time with him outside of that. But now I've got at least a filter to, or a lens to look at speed and agility work through. And maybe I don't agree with everything that Lee says, which I often do, but assuming I didn't, now I've at least got a filter and I've got context. So when I go and start listening to other people, like a Dan Pfaff, like a Boosh Shexnader, like uh, Nick Winkleman, now I've got some context and all these other guys' information, I can assimilate it into what I know. So I got, you know, a Lee Taft, or I got a Joel Jameson who gave me my base for conditioning. So this is what's so critical, guys. You have to find mentors to help you fill in those knowledge gaps. And I think one of the best things that you can do as a young coach is do a great internship. Don't do an internship just to get credits. And this is so hard because I don't know if a 19 or 20 year old kid will ever listen to this show. I hope they will. And I hope it's going to motivate them and it's going to put them out there and give them those right first steps. But, you know, if you get a great internship early on, you are set, right? And maybe not set for life, but it gives you a leg up on everybody else. And, and that's why I think we take our internship process so seriously at IFAST. I mean, it's 16 weeks in nature. Um, you know, they're going to have a, a true learning, like classroom session once a week. They're going to have a second session with Jay um, or possibly with Jason where they're going to go in and they're going to have to reteach that material. So it's active. It's engaged learning. And they have to really kind of put these pieces together themselves. Because it's one thing to just digest information, it's another to be able to spit it back and coach it to a client or to an athlete. So you have to find a great mentor or mentors. If you can do that, it gives you a strong foundation for success. Number 16, experience is key. And this is something that I see a lot of these days. I see a lot of kids and I don't want to sound like old grumpy bastard right now, although I'm pretty sure that's going to happen regardless of how this comes out. But I see a lot of guys right now with a lot of book smarts. Man, they've read a lot of good things. They followed a lot of great coaches. And they sound really smart. Like if I'm talking to them, they talk a great game. But what they don't know 
is that they don't have that experience yet. At the end of the day, you have to get reps. You have to get in the gym. It's the only way to get better, right? This is the one thing you can't shortchange. You can't fake it. You can't educate yourself around it. You have to put in the work. Write it down, underline it, star, doesn't matter. You have to put in the work. And, and this is something I'm seeing more and more of these days. I see a lot of great coaches that come into our internship. And it's not their fault. Keep in mind, it is not their fault. Because a lot of schools, my school was this way. I went four and a half years and I never coached anybody. So all I had was this book education, this formal education. I never had any context. I never had the experience. So guys, I'm telling you, there's no way around this. Stop trying to find the the slight edge of this. Stop trying to find the hack. There is none. The hack is go in the gym and do a lot of fucking work. Coach a lot of reps. Work with a lot of athletes. See a lot of things. The more reps, the more experience you get, the more comfortable and the more confident you're going to be. And, you know, looking back, we all have, I don't even want to say regrets. There's things that we wish we would have done better when we were younger. I wish I would have gotten involved with speed and agility work at a younger age or had a, a mentor like Lee early on. But, you know, one thing that I did, I was a gym rat. So there's a reason I'm really good when it comes to coaching strength-based exercises. It's because that's what I know, right? For 17 years plus probably another six or seven before that, when I was just lifting weights myself, I've been in gyms. So that's like 24 years of like gym experience. You can't replicate that. You can't duplicate that. You can't fake it. So if you want to be a great coach, experience is key. And as a young coach, you're not going to have it immediately, right? Get the reps in now and see the big picture. You're working hard in the micro to build the macro where you see that vision of you as a world-class coach. Number 17, take great notes. Um, again, if we're making a list of things I wish I would have done better, this is one of my downfalls. If you came to my house and you looked at my bookshelf, I'd like to think most of you would be fairly impressed. Like I've got a nice little library going here. Um, but I am awful at taking notes. I never got active about this until probably three or four years ago. And even then it wasn't all that active. It was like highlighting stuff, right? Or, or dog flapping pages. So luckily I have a pretty good memory. Um, it's not as good now. My brain's a little bit more scrambled, which tends to happen when you have little people. Your thought process isn't quite as streamlined as you would like. But, you know, a guy um, who I hope you all have heard of, if you haven't, he's brilliant. His name's Eric Otter. Um, he's probably the best note taker I've ever seen. And this guy will read a book literally cover to cover. He'll highlight it. He'll tab it. He'll take notes on the highlighted sections, it's amazing. Like, the guy is meticulous. And there's a reason, like, people would say, oh, he's just super smart, or he's got an amazing memory. Sure, sure, I'm not going to argue any of those things. But the fact is, he's worked his ass off to be good at that, too. So you got to give a guy credit for the when he puts in the work to get better at something. Um, and something I'll put in the show notes is this Ryan Holiday article. Um, he does a brilliant job. First off, Ryan Holiday, um, I don't want to call him a man crush, but I am a huge fan of his work, uh, as I think a lot of guys are now. He's a brilliant writer. He makes stoicism kind of fun and engaging um, because he's such a good writer, and it's just really captivating, well-written work. But I'll, I'll link to this article. 
because it details his note-taking process and how he clusters like-minded or excuse me like similar topics into different areas of notes so in our world it could be like notes on plyometrics notes on acceleration notes on coaching the squat so he has all these different sections you know so he may have all these different note cards in these different sections and if he wants to maybe reference plyos like if he's struggling with a plyo progression you know he can go through and he can look at all these things and not only kind of have a really good synopsis of his thought process but you can start to synthesize new ideas new thought processes and it can really kind of help you take your thinking and your thought process to the next level so i make sure i put a link of that article in the show notes but take great notes especially if you're young start doing it now get in the habit you will be better as a result doggies i'm getting tired all right number 18 think with beginner's mind and this kind of comes back to if you're stagnant you know or if you're not uncomfortable you stop growing well you know the second you think you know it all you're in a really dangerous position and i think this is natural right especially if you really commit yourself to the learning process um it's easy to get comfortable or it's easy to think you know it all but you're in that dangerous place and i think most intelligent people understand that when they get there it's time to change things up it's time to shake things up a little bit so for example when I think I know it all about something, I go back to square one and I'm literally going to challenge it from every angle. Um, and this is a great time to kind of reevaluate your thought process on things. Figure out what your big, big rocks are. Figure out what your non-negotiables are and then work to tweak and refine them from there. So, um, you know, another process that you can do is constantly challenge yourself. And I did this for my physical prep summit talk. But things that I take for granted... I'd really tried to drill deep on. So my basic thesis statement was, you know, everybody does accessory lifts. Well, why do they do that? And then I started to break down, okay, these are the reasons why I think they do it. Well, why do I think those things are important? Do you see where I'm going with this? So the, the deeper you drill down, the better you, understanding you have of a topic right? You really start to truly master a topic versus having this kind of superficial level understanding of everything. And I think if you strive to be a great coach or you strive to be a great trainer, you have to come at things constantly with this idea of beginner's mind. All right, number 19, we're getting in the home stretch here. This is huge. This came up a ton in the Facebook thread as well, but you have to learn to communicate. And I think this is something that's really become prominent in the last four or five years. Um, I think it's, it's very, very critical. Number one, that you speak clearly. It's something that I'm constantly working on. Um, see, um's generally not a good thing, but they happen. Uh, but the goal is to speak clearly, choose your words wisely. If you have ever read a guy by the name of Don Miguel Ruiz, he's got a great book called the four agreements one of the four agreements is be impeccable with your word. And if you're speaking, sometimes it's easy because you can use those filler words like ums, ahs, sos. But if you go in and you start writing more and then you go in and you try and read your writing or or literally read aloud what you're writing, it becomes clear like 
there's a lot of extra stuff in there. So work to kind of cut away from all the extra. Try and be clear, be concise, be impeccable with your word. As a secondary piece to this, start writing more. Even if you never want to write a blog, even if you never want to write an article, even if you never want to write a book, the more you write, the more you work to truly understand your thought process, the more clear you become as a communicator. And this is one of those things, guys, there's no workaround. There's no hack. You have to be able to communicate clearly your thought process, your vision, why you do things. Because if you don't communicate clearly, wow, struggling. If you don't communicate clearly, people aren't going to listen to you. They're not going to buy in. And ultimately, every one of us, whether you're private sector or public sector, you're selling. You are constantly selling your program, your thoughts to your clients and to your athletes. So writing is another great way to learn how to do that. And I will tell you this, guys, work on your skills right now. Don't wait. Don't kick the can down the curb. Don't wait for another day. You know, there's so many great ways to start working on your communication skills. And a great piece of advice, uh, my buddy from back in the day, Matt Winnie, uh, he did a brief internship at Texas. And I believe he told me after he did that, he said, look, use every opportunity that you can as a chance to improve your speaking skills and your communication skills. So whether it's talking to your significant other, whether it's talking to a client in the gym, whether it's talking to a potential prospect, it doesn't matter. Constantly use these different times that you would just think, oh, this is no big deal. We're just having a conversation. Don't think like that. Think of it as a chance to practice and refine your communication skills. Last but not least, you aren't entitled to anything. And I know this is going to ring true. A lot of the probably older heads that are listening to this are nodding their head and thinking, yeah, young guys, you know, you're not entitled to anything. Like, But none of us are. None of us are entitled to anything. I don't care how long you've been doing it. I don't care how good you are, how good you think you are, who you know. None of that matters, right? You're not entitled to shit. And if you can just get your head around that, if you can come with that worker's mindset every single day, you're going to do just fine. The things I always tell people, you want to set yourself apart, you want to get over this entitlement mindset, number one, get great results. There is nobody that can take that away from you. If you get great results with your clients and with your athletes, it will get noticed. Number two, work your ass off. Again, no substitute for this. Hard work is the great equalizer. You know, guys like Eric Cressy, Luca Hasavar, Bill Hartman, brilliant, brilliant guys. But I tell you what, those guys are three of the hardest working dudes I've ever met. So work your ass off. Number three, there's no getting around this, guys genuinely care about your clients. There are some of the world's worst coaches out there that I guarantee have full books that are making six figures a year training people because, and they have none of the technical skills that maybe you have, but they genuinely care. Those people know that they have a friend, somebody that cares about them, that's going to help them, that's going to you know give them their best effort. So when you genuinely care about your clients and about your athletes, it puts you on another level. And if you do those three things, if you get great results, if you work your ass off, if you genuinely care about your clients, if you even do one of those three at a really high level, you'll probably be okay. You do two or three out of three, and you're going to be an absolute rock star legend, 
right? You do those three and I promise everything else will work out. Okay, so I don't know if you guys know this or not. 61 minutes in at this point in time, all one take, right? I was not going to do this again. I wasn't going to chop it up. I'm not going to edit it. This is me, raw, unfiltered, unedited. Number one, I hope you enjoyed it because this is something I'm passionate about, something I've had kind of weighing on my mind. I didn't want to write an article and I felt kind of this long format audio would be the best way to get this out there. So I do have one favor to ask. If anything in this show resonated with you, if there is anything that you feel like a young coach or a young trainer could benefit from hearing, please just pass this along to them. I appreciate you listening in this long. I mean, if you've listened to me ramble for 62 minutes now, you're a saint. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. But take this, even if you just say, hey, listen to 2, 5, and 10, whichever bullet points those are, that would be so welcome because, again, this show is kind of a labor of love. It's not something I directly make money off of. It's something I do because I'm passionate about this. Uh, I want to make this industry better, and I just want to kind of help groom and help shape the next generation of great coaches. So to all of you thanking <laughs> to all of you that listen, thank you so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it and we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>